Welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast, and here is your host, Ryan Mack. Welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mack. Now, there has been a lot of debate recently around FinCEN's new beneficial ownership requirements as a part of the recent Corporate Transparency Act and its impact on compliance. Now, included are RegTechs who are arguing for access to FinCEN's non-public beneficial ownership registry. There is precedent for this sort of access in other jurisdictions, including the UK and Germany. Now, this is important because whether or not FinCEN keeps their beneficial ownership registry private, as some expect they're set to do, has implications on compliance, i.e. the burden that RegTechs help to address. So, in a letter submitted to FinCEN by Dr. Balani, who is the head of industry and regulatory affairs at Encompass Corporation, argues for allowing RegTechs to access FinCEN's beneficial ownership registry so that they can better support FIs in completing their regulatory obligations. Without access, the task of due diligence is made more difficult, adding to the cost and complexity of compliance. So on this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Balani to discuss his letter in further detail, as well as provide some additional insight to FinCEN's new beneficial ownership requirements. So there's certainly a lot of insight to unpack on this episode. So without any further delays, let's start the show. So Henry, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on this episode here. Um, And I'm really excited to get diving into this topic here because I want to start off from a little bit kind of a a 101 perspective. Um, Maybe you can kind of tell me in general terms, what does FinCEN's new Corporate uh, Transparency Act or CTA include? But then also maybe you can kind of dovetail into the, you know, who does this impact and what are the new requirements um, and what new requirements does it propose in addition to what's already being required today around beneficial ownership um, reporting and due diligence? Ryan, great. Uh, thank you for the uh, for for being on this podcast itself. Certainly, an absolute pleasure on my part as well. Now, it's a great question, Ryan. I think it's important to recognize that the there have been lots of uh, changes in regulations, especially in this uh, anti money laundering and financial crime area. And so, what's interesting, I think, specifically when you, you reference the new Corporate Transparency Act, I just to uh, understand that this particular corporate transparency act cta for short was actually a part of a the the broader anti-money laundering act of 2020 and this was uh, established um, late uh, late late 2020 and uh, really coming into force 2021 and what this really is all about is is requiring in fact mandating fincen uh, to ensure that they uh have certain legal entities, so typically financial institutions, um, those uh, reporting entities that are obligated to to follow the Anti-Money Laundering Act to submit to FinCEN a report. And this report essentially contains beneficial ownership information, company applicant information of the reporting company itself. Now, what's interesting is that this particular mandate uh, is an expanded role for FinCEN. FinCEN, as your uh, listeners may know, typically is involved in um, the uh, collection of suspicious activity reports. Again, these are financial institutions that have that would file these reports um, to to FinCEN to if there's any kind of anything suspicious or anything that they're concerned that could be legal or could be illicit or any types of financial transactions of that nature. 
And so what's happening now is that FinCEN's scope has actually expanded. And it's really expanded beyond simply collecting the uh, the suspicious activity reports now to actually creating and mandate and maintaining this uh, uh, beneficial ownership registry. And that's actually, I think, a fairly significant event, I think, for purposes of your listeners, to recognize that the uh, the scope of FinCEN has just really expanded to to address these types of issues. Now, why are they doing that? I mean, part of the Anti-Money Laundering Act is certainly to ensure that they uh, they they are identifying potential beneficial owners. And the reason that they're doing that is because there is the challenge in terms of being able to identify potential suspicious or illicit or sanctioned or high-risk individuals and or corporations that would uh, be, uh, you know, be potentially engaging in money laundering or terrorist financing activities, and that's really where they've they've started to look at the idea of a federal uh, beneficial ownership registry. Now they're going to be disclosing the uh, um, these these reporting entities, these banks, uh, financial institutions, will need to be providing all the information to to FinCEN. FinCEN will create this federal beneficial ownership registry, and from there, then be able to provide that as uh, as information, as data, both to federal agencies that are involved in national security, intelligence, law enforcement, etc., as well to the financial institutions themselves, so that they will identify who what the uh, who the beneficial ownership owners are for for those particular reporting companies. Yeah, thank thank you so much for that overview. It certainly certainly adds a lot of clarity. Um, here now, kind of really diving into the heart of this conversation is that you wrote a letter to FinCEN, you know, uh, providing uh, a little bit of a commentary uh, on the proposed update. And one of the recommendations that you made that I certainly found very interesting um, is that RegTech should be granted access to FinCEN's centralized benefit ownership platform that you or database that you were describing there. So one, I, I want to get into a little bit more detail of why you believe that that's important um, to have happen. And then also what implications then does this have on the bank's ability to comply with their regulatory obligations? Yeah, right. Great question. I think it's uh, it's really interesting to to kind of understand kind of the context behind why we wrote the letter back to FinCEN. Now, uh, as part of any new uh, rulemaking that comes out of uh, federal agencies, uh, there was a period where the agency would invite input from the general public. And this is called the uh, Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. So we decided to provide our comments back to the uh, proposed rules that I I talked about a little bit earlier, right? The idea of being able to create this federal level beneficial ownership registry. Now, the intent for FinCEN when they they looked at actually uh, creating this this beneficial ownership registry is really address the financial crime, economic crime type issues. And so from that perspective, it's important to ensure that it's not just the financial institutions that could potentially be involved in fighting financial crime. You have to cast the net wider. That's just this is given. I mean, it's it's not unusual. Um, you know, what was interesting when we when we saw the proposed rules was that the original idea was to limit the access to this beneficial ownership registry only to law enforcement and to the financial institutions that uh, submitted the information. Now, when you look at it in the context of why FinCEN exists, it makes sense, right? Because uh, after all, what FinCEN is uh, a main obligation is to collect these suspicious activity reports from the various banks themselves 
and to use that as a conduit to feed that to the enforcement agencies and to provide them greater information, data, context, et cetera, to be able to go catch the bad guy. And so that makes perfect sense. So that's kind of the, the logic by which uh, FinCEN has, uh, is using in terms of creating this beneficial ownership registry. However, there's a significant difference here when you look at the beneficial ownership registry itself. The challenge for banks is that when you look at these, uh, you know, these different corporations that uh, they may file suspicious activity reports on or that they may collect information regarding the, the, uh, the structure of the company, these particular entities, corporations can be fairly complex. And they're complex in the sense that they may uh, have multiple uh, subsidiaries in, within the organization and these subsidiaries may be offshore and that they may be different countries and they may even be in sanctioned countries. So, for example, if a bank is looking to onboard a, uh, let's say, a, a mining company, just, just as an example, ABC Mining Company. And this ABC Mining Company, while well, may be based in New York, the parent company may be based in New York, for example, uh, registered um, in, in the New York Stock Exchange, etc. The challenge may be that they may have uh, complex structures. They may have locations in in various other parts of the world, right, including the Middle East, maybe including Africa, including parts of Asia and so forth. And they may have locations or they may be working with partners that may be in sanctioned countries. So they may be in, for example, Sudan, South Sudan, or they may be in North Korea. And so that becomes a real issue in terms of them being able to identify what that corporate structure looks like. So, it, you know, uh, the, the bank that's onboarding a ABC Mining Company, for example, may onboard the parent company. But there are regulations and there are uh, there are stipulations that within OFAC, for example, this is the Office of Parent Asset Control, where uh, they, they provide basically the sanction lists. And the challenge there is that it also identifies is not only the corporate entity, the parent entity that may be sanctioned, but it may be subsidiaries of that particular uh, sanctioned entity, especially if there's a greater than 50% ownership within that particular corporation. So, for example, ABC Company has a 51% ownership in a, uh, in a uh, say, uh, uh, a company in, say, North Korea, just, just as an example, and that may not necessarily be listed. That, in, that company itself would also be sanctioned. Uh, that 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 uh, subsidy would also be sanctioned. The challenge is that you don't know what the corporate structure may look like. It may be complex. We have large large organizations, large corporate entities that have multiple levels of ownership. And the fact that uh, OFAC, for example, only specifies that the parent company is going to be sanctioned, plus any company that's over 50 percent ownership is also sanctioned. But oh, by the way, I haven't actually included them in the list. Means that the bank has to go identify what that, uh, that that structure looks like. So that's part of the challenge. The other part of the challenge then becomes the, the idea of uh, uh, shell companies, the idea of companies that may have uh, uh, may be hidden and may need to be able to be identified. And so by having a beneficial ownership registry, not only in the U.S., but also then being able to link that beneficial ownership registry with other registries around the world. It then becomes uh, easier for the particular bank to actually identify that corporate structure. They can be very complex, and that's what we do essentially at the end of the day. We help these banks identify what the corporate structure of this ABC mining company could look like. Because without doing that, then you start getting into not only uh, sanctions risk and money laundering risks and so forth, but you also start to get into areas of, uh, where you are identifying potential economic 
financial crime type challenges and issues. And that's, I think, something that uh, uh, is really, really important. Banks cannot do it by themselves. And that's here, that's a challenge here, right? Because for them to identify the corporate structure, yes, they can certainly spend a lot of time and effort, but there are technologies, there are solutions, there are databases, there are multiple registries and so on. There are, there are firms, big tech firms like ourselves that should pull all that data and essentially provide that corporate hierarchy, that tree structure that they can then identify. Oh, okay, the ABC Mining Company owns XYZ a Distribution uh, Company, uh, owns uh, DEF, uh, you know, a manufacturing company, et cetera, et cetera. And then I could identify that relationship, that structure. That's going to go a huge way in being able to go back to FinCEN and say, look, here's where I think the, the suspicious activities potentially are. These are challenges that we, we need to address because of the uh, sanctions that we have on these, uh, these on this particular parent company. And this is the information that we've been able to gather. Without access to the uh, beneficial ownership registries, you cannot have the banks with a, with a, uh, their hands tied behind their back, so to speak, because they cannot be able to do that on a fairly regular basis. They cannot be able to do that comprehensively. They cannot be able to do that with great due diligence and then be able to uh, identify ultimately what we're trying to do is to fight financial crime, right? Find the bad guy. How can I find the bad guy if I don't have access to all information? And that's essentially what we've, what we've uh, kind of stated in our letter back to, to FinCEN saying we have to open up the access to the beneficial ownership registry. Yes, granted, we recognize that um, traditionally SARS, the suspicious activity reports, were filed with the, uh, you know, with, with, with FinCEN with the intent to provide to law enforcement. But in this case, you've got to start looking at it, expanding it because you need that expanded information to be able to identify those structures. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's certainly a very, very, very complex issue. And, and I mean, I certainly agree with your point that, you know, kind of putting that onus on the financial institutions and what's kind of really required um, as you kind of take a look at from the the corporate structure of businesses and onboarding, there certainly is a bit of 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 concern and resources essentially that have to be applied to that to make sure that 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 is done uh, completely correctly um, to that end. But when we're taking a look, because you had kind of brought up there in terms of, you know, getting access, access to the database and the data, um, you know, there certainly does kind of a, a lot of alarm bells kind of go off, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, anything with banking data um, related to it, and a lot of people kind of start to put up guardrails. But you did mention in your letter, though, that there is a precedent for granting reg tech such as yourself access to beneficial ownership data. Maybe you can kind of unpack that a little bit and explain how other countries kind of approach that aspect of it, and then where the United States in particular can learn from other jurisdictions. Yep, absolutely. Now it's it's interesting. So so it's not that this is needs to be any kind of like uh, you know um, uh, protected crown jewels uh, and that you know it should be restricted access and so on. Quite the contrary, uh, and I think you've seen this precedence in many other countries as well. So uh, you got you got Austria, for example, Denmark, Germany, Ireland, Poland, uh, United Kingdom. They all have these uh, beneficial ownership registries that. The public can access. It's not only just firms like ourselves. As a public can can access, um, as long as you can provide information about yourself, you can identify who you are, 
and you can provide reasons for why you're looking at accessing it, it's uh, it's wide open. In fact, even the UK, I think that's kind of the gold standard in some ways when you look at what they've got to offer. You don't even need to provide um, your you know information about yourself in order to be able to access these these different uh, data uh, data sources. The UK in particular, I'm talking about something called Companies House. Now, Companies House actually is interestingly was uh, was established pretty, pretty pretty way back when, back in 1844, where the idea was that they wanted to be able to identify all the companies that should be in a registrar of of you know a, 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 a company's list, company's house in that case, right? And the idea is to be able to facilitate commerce and things like adding information about the company, about the uh, the directors of the company about the ownership uh, percentages of the company, shareholder information of the company. It even goes as far as including uh, certain personal uh, personal information about that individual. For example, the you know the uh, the, the citizenship, uh, part of the uh, the uh, the date of birth, part of the address, to be able to identify ultimately who those uh, those persons of interest are. Now, they could be persons of, sign- of significant control. It's basically the uh, folks that actually have a, a strong interest in the, in the company and can direct the, 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 the operations of the company as, as company directors, as well as the actual percentage ownership that they have in, in that company itself. That information is all available. I mean, you can just go to Google Companies House uh, UK, and then uh, anybody, uh, general public, can go and access that. So it's not a question of this is, needs to be restricted. We have to recognize that what we are trying to do is moving beyond simply just uh, commerce, commercial activities, because that's what the original intent of Companies House was, but moving towards now fighting financial crime. And uh, the UK has uh, has acknowledged, for example, yes, we might be the golden standard, the golden source in terms of a reference uh, a database that you can look like, but there's also reform happening as well. There's, there's the idea that uh, we all need to fight financial crime. You've got multiple actors that can fight financial crime or at least provide intelligence and input towards doing that. It's not just enforcement agencies. Enforcement agencies rely on you know, the, the public, uh, rely on the banks to provide the SARS and so forth. And there's no reason why we couldn't continue to extend that. And reg tech firms like ourselves simply are enablers, simply are working within the context of that financial institution to be able to then provide that uh, that, that company structure they're, look, they're looking at. We've been doing this quite some time, right? So we've been working with with uh, with banks in 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 Australia. We've been working with uh, banks in Europe, in the UK, and in the US to be able to help identify what those corporate structures look like. The difference here is that we're now looking at, in the U.S., a national uh, register, a federal register, versus when you look at what we have now within the U.S., a kind of a state-level register. And so that's, I think, something to to note as well. But the idea of being able to access this type of information in different countries is not new. It's not it's not uh, novel. There are the 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 there is need to uh, provide uh, you know more accurate information. The challenge with company house, for example, as I mentioned, was established back in 1844. No kidding, you want to be able to update and uh, and and change some of the information in, within that uh, uh, within that database. And there's this, there's focus on validating some of the information, making sure that they verify the 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 uh, the entities that have been added. They want to make sure that uh, it's it's kept current. And the uh, company's house um, as 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 a uh, organization can remove information as required 
from the registrar. So there's a lot of this type of uh, activity that's been happening. And so the U.S. can definitely look at these different countries. So as I mentioned, U.K. is just one example. Ireland, the same thing. Um, even in Germany, for example, yeah, as long as you demonstrate uh, reasons for access, you 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 sign up as uh, in terms of access to the database, they'll grant you the information that you require in terms of looking for the beneficial ownership information. So it's not new, it's not novel. I think it's something that we can learn from from what these other countries are doing uh, outside the U.S. and incorporate those uh, those uh, best practices within our federal uh, beneficial ownership register as well. Yeah, I certainly think that there's there, there's a lot of valid points um, there. I think if it's, you know, to the point that you brought up in terms of the UK um, and kind of allowing as long as you were able to uh, identify and say, here's who I am, uh, here's the data that I'm getting, uh, looking to get access to and why, um, I think that that's certainly a very reasonable uh, ask to then be able to get access to that information, which then you can say, well, here's where then the value kind of trickles down to in the financial institutions, which then benefits also um, kind Kind of all of the, uh, the the other government related agencies that are looking at at the end of the day essentially stopping and preventing uh, financial crime um, uh, and money laundering so I, I mean I certainly do see that there's there's the value in that um, but before we wrap things up you know I know that you were kind of talking a little bit about your organization encompass. Um, that you represent, um, and you did mention that, okay, you're fairly new entrant here into the U.S., but maybe you can give us a little bit more background on your organization and then dive a little bit deeper into maybe, you know, some of the other services that your organization provides um, beyond kind of what, what we were unpacking here today. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity, Ryan, and uh, certainly an interesting discussion for sure. The what our focus essentially is, is being able to identify the underlying corporate structure, right? So uh, banks uh, and regulated other regulated entities are required to conduct due diligence as part of their know your customer onboarding process, KYC for short. So it's a fairly common activity. And uh, most of us are used to that by now, either as an individual or as a corporation that need to, that need to identify the, you know, um, the kind of the ownership structure is one of it as being able to validate the risk profile of that particular organization. So what we do essentially is provide the platform. It's a software as a service SaaS platform where through either a, um, through a kind of on-screen lookup, that's one uh, uh, option, or through integration through APIs that allow the banks as that have different onboarding workflow type solutions to be able to integrate to our backend uh, uh, platforms where we actually take all these different data sources. So, so I mentioned these ownership registries, right? So we take things like uh, UK company house, we will take the uh, registrar listings, we'll take the New York Stock Exchange listing if it's a public company, et cetera, and allow, provide that central point of access for that particular onboarding exercise. So instead of the analysts having to spend time going to one, uh, you know, for example, down in Bradstreet or uh, BVD or whatever the commercial databases is out there, in addition to these uh, uh, registrars and exchanges and so forth, we provide that in kind of a centralized uh, source. Not only do we provide that, we also provide kind of a rules mechanism whereby uh, we look at the first data source and based on certain parameters, look at the second data source based on jurisdiction, for example, risk profile, et cetera. That allows you then to kind of automate that entire process. So in a nutshell, basically what we're doing is we're automating the, uh, the, the uncovering of the corporate structure 
So if you type in ABC Manufacturing Company, what will happen then is based on those rules that we've, we've, we've included in terms of jurisdiction and the types of data sources that we're looking at, we'll be able to then identify what that corporate structure looks like. So think of a kind of a, a, a pyramid, a hierarchy uh, in terms of the corporate structure and provide not only the corporate structure itself, but the ownership information. So if the ownership, if, if ultimately the, uh, the parent or the owner of that particular corporation is a known uh, high-profile individual, maybe a politically exposed person, or, e or possibly even a sanctioned individual, we will identify that. We'll flag that for them as part of this onboarding process. So essentially, it's the idea of taking the, the amount of time that a KYC analyst has to spend in terms of identifying all these relationships. Typically, it may take hours or days. It gets it down to minutes. And then becomes a real easy process in terms of an efficient process and a consistent process in terms of being able to, uh, you know, uh, be part of that that onboarding process. So it's at the end of the day, I think you know we've yes we we are certainly newish entrants in in the U.S., but we've been working with U.S.-based banks for quite some time, uh, especially the the large tier one banks that uh, recognize the value of these types of solutions, because ultimately large tier one banks, um, they have fairly complex onboarding types of uh, operations. There's a need to be able to automate that, to be able to provide consistency to that, to be able to make sure they're comprehensive in terms of, of accessing and uncovering their corporate uh, ownership structure. And we provide those uh, platforms, those tools that allow them to do that, uh, um, you know, as part of that onboarding process that they have. Excellent. Yeah, I, I certainly certainly agree. Um, and, and to the point of, uh, you know, the the, the merchant onboarding uh, aspect of it from a financial institution. I mean, the more and more conversations I have, um, the more ways that friction can get reduced from that whole onboarding experience. Certainly, the better. Um, as you know, we certainly seen this large shift. Um, particularly, I think a lot of it having to do with COVID, where um, a, a lot of consumers kind of going through that digitization side and then also business to business, um, you know, the, the digitization uh, kind of revolution yep. or evolution, I should say, that's going on there. A lot of merchants in particular have kind of started to take a look at kind of their whole aspect, as well as financial institutions and kind of saying like, hey, shouldn't businesses also have kind of that same onboarding experience as a consumer does where it's a it's a couple of clicks here or reducing as much friction as possible um to kind of get to the end goal uh that they're looking at so i mean i certainly think it's a it's a, a well uh well-earned uh, venture here um and yeah. henry thank you so much uh for taking the time really do appreciate it and i uh, hope to have you back on the podcast real soon yeah absolutely ryan i appreciate the the time as well and if i can also add as well what's interesting Please. is that um, when you when you look at the actual onboarding process, one thing I forgot to mention was that this all happens on demand, real time. So let's look at what's happening today, right? So uh, you've got the uh, you know got Russia, you got Ukraine, you got China, you got these geopolitical issues out there and so forth, and the political geopolitical landscape is dynamically changing. And I think uh, you know the sanctions being announced uh, on certain entities. Uh, on in the eastern Ukraine, for example, and the sanctions on banks in eastern Ukraine. The, it's important to recognize that you got to do this, uh, you know, as quickly as possible because you may inadvertently end up, uh, you know, financing a sanctioned entity, which is a real, real 
real bad thing to do, especially from a uh, you know policy enforcement uh, perspective. So the idea of being able to do this on demand quickly, I think, is also key here. So let's uh, recognize it, uh, you know the solution for what it is, being able to identify quickly and being able to mitigate your risks as a, as a as a uh, financial institution, as a regulated institution in terms of uh, in terms of your onboarding activities. So that's important to recognize that as well. But Ryan, definitely thank you for for the opportunity to. Uh, to speak to you. I think it was uh, a great conversation. Let's kind of uh, watch what happens and what, what, what unfolds in, you know, in the geopolitical world right now. Who knows? I think, you know, uh, unfortunately for better for worse, I think we, we, we're in the era where there's going to be more sanctions, more, more of these types of, uh, uh, financial crime potential activities, uh, a lot of, a lot of this things happening, which really creates a need for making sure that we understand who the beneficial ownership, uh, owner is. If you don't, you're in trouble. Yeah, I'll certainly think that. that we'll, that we'll leave it on that note there, that if you don't, you're in trouble. Uh, so, Henry, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Really do appreciate it and looking forward to having you back on another episode. Thanks, Ryan.